together, that Spirit of God, you would make it become light to us. This challenging, difficult, really, passage is full of life. It goes against our culture. It goes against our nature. But Lord, it is your word. Uncover the truth of it for us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So a work crew had been uh, working at a construction site for a period of time, and one of the men was injured, so they hired a new, young, broad-shouldered, very healthy young male to come in to take his place. He was a good worker, but he was also very annoying. Uh, he was annoying in the sense that he was always bragging about how he was so much stronger than anyone else at the work site. He especially made fun of some of the older men who had been in construction for a long period of time. Finally, one of the older workers had had enough and said to the young man, Buddy, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? The young man, of course, never one to back down from a bet, said, Okay. The older man said, I bet you a week's wages that I can put something so heavy in the wheelbarrow and wheel it over to the other side of the site that you can't wheel it back. The young man was like, oh, I got this one. He said, fine, I'll, I, I'm in. So the older man got the wheelbarrow and then said to the younger man, hop in. Sometimes wisdom overcomes strength, doesn't it? Some of you are going to get this driving home later. You're, oh, oh, the guy gets in, then he can't wheel himself back. Yeah. It says in Ecclesiastes that the battle isn't always to the strong, nor the race to the swift. As we've watched the Olympics unfold over the last two weeks, we thrive on the strong and the swift. But some of the most moving moments to me have been those moments where people have failed miserably and yet either kept going or kept their spirit. You know, the race may not be to the strong or the swift, but in America, those are the people we bet on because we value strength. Paul says there's power in weakness. Power in weakness. He, he is bringing a word of correction and at the same time a word of warning to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth has been sidetracked by false teaching. They've been sidetracked by a group of men who have come in claiming to say we are we're better than the apostles. They were good for their time but we're better. You see the message that we hear today, that power is perfected in weakness, has, is so against our culture that even the church doesn't like it. Even the church won't receive it very well. Listen to the words of a very well-known, very popular author uh, from a book. If I quoted the title, you would know it right away. Here's what he says in his book. It is God's will for you 
to live in prosperity instead of poverty. It is God's will for you to pay your bills and not be in debt. It is God's will for you to live in health and not in sickness all the days of your life. Goes on and says, if you develop an image of victory, success, health, abundance, joy, peace, and happiness, nothing on earth will be able to hold these things from you. We love that message. We love that we want it to be true. We want it to be true that we can have all that we desire as comfort and wealth and happiness and health because it meets the desires of my flesh. But I got to tell you, it, it runs contrary to the word that Amy just read to you and Paul's discussion of the church. Let me summarize chapters 11, chapter 12, and then I want to make three points about them that are critical to us as followers of Jesus Christ. Some of you don't seem so excited about this word today. Uh, <laughs> you don't seem like all hyped. I'm not sure I can make this funny or uh, exactly fun, but let's let the Spirit of God uh, give us truth about it today. And there are some tricky things in this passage. There's some, there's some points where you're going to get caught up looking at the trees rather than the forest. Uh, things like, what, what, what did Paul see in heaven? You know, if he was caught up into paradise, the third heaven, and got in the, before the throne of God, what did he see? What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? What, what was it that caused him such grief and problems, and he prays three times for it to be taken away, and it wasn't. I want to focus on the big picture uh, because I believe that God wants to, I do believe that God wants to unleash his power upon us. I believe God wants us to walk in strength. I believe God wants us to walk in power. But if indeed God's power is perfected in my weakness, then at some point I have to embrace the weaknesses of my life. I don't encourage you to look to the left or the right right now, but you could, and you will see a person who has weaknesses. We're going to talk about this today. The background is this. The church in Corinth is being subverted by these slick-talking, uh, well-dressed, oratorical, very intelligent apostles, super-apostles. They're calling themselves. And they're coming in, and they're saying, here's our resume. Look at our resume. Our resume is this. We, we are prosperous. We're great talkers. We have a great heritage. Most people think they're Judaizers, meaning they're from a Jewish heritage, now becoming Christians, trying to convince the church to become both Jewish and Christian and have some super knowledge at the same time. So they're presenting their pedigree before them, and they're saying, look at, look at our resume. Compare it to Paul's. And then listen to us. Follow after us. We're better speakers. We're more popular. We are, Paul calls them hyper apostles, super apostles. Paul's response in this passage, chapter 11, which I didn't read to you. I encourage you to read. I'm going to summarize it for you. Paul's response is biting and brilliant. 
It's sarcastic, but at the same time, he brings it to a place where he says, look, I'm not foolish, but if you think I am, then let me be foolish for the Lord. And I'm going to boast in these following things. I'm going to be foolish enough to boast in these things. And then after I'm done, you be the judge of where God is. So Paul then presents his resume. Uh, You know, he kind of unfolds his resume for him right then. Now, I don't know about you, but when I unfold my resume, I'm putting only good things, right? When uh, I haven't written a resume really in a long time, but uh, I had to this summer because uh, I'm uh, scheduled to teach a class at Southeastern Bible College, so they asked me to do a resume. I pulled it out. Uh, The resume I had, I only had three children uh, listed on it. That shows you how old. And one of those children, the fourth one who wasn't even born when I did my resume last time, went to college yesterday. So if I start crying for no apparent reason, you'll know that I let my first daughter off at college yesterday. Anyway, so you don't put bad things on your resume. You put just the good stuff. So Paul, one of my favorite resume things, by the way, was when I was in the seminary, we had to look at resumes of people and I saw a resume of a student, and it asked for clubs and organizations that they were a member of, and this person put Sam's Club. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I didn't know that really was resume-worthy, but we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll go with that. So they've listed their resume. Now, if I were Paul, in other words, and I were about to present my resume to these people, I, I, I would unload on these people. Um, I I would say something to the effect, I've preached to this many people. I've started this many churches. I've healed hundreds of people, dead people, brought back to life. I got bit by a snake, nothing. I mean, I would, I brought thousands to know the Lord. I served on the Council of Jerusalem. I was on the first mission trip ever. You know, I mean, I would start saying things that were, that would make me seem fairly important. You could say, I've written a bunch of books. By the way, they're going to be in the Bible someday. You guys will never be heard of again. I mean, really, you could have, he could have said a lot of things. But here's what Paul, here is what Paul finds valuable in his resume. He's Starts off by saying, okay, you want to talk about your pedigree, your lineage? All right, I was born Jewish, I'm a Hebrew, an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham. In another place, he talks about being a Pharisee. I've got the lineage thing thing covered. A servant of Christ? Here's, Here's how my servant record unfolds. I've been in prison. I've been flogged five times. I've been beaten with rods three times. I've been stoned to the point of death. I've been shipwrecked. I'm constantly in danger. I'm consistently worn out. I'm laboring nonstop to preach the gospel. In addition to that, I carry the burden of all these churches that I've started and been a part of. I've been humiliated over and over again. One time I was so humiliated, I had to hide in a basket and they had to lower me down out of a city. That's my work resume. My spiritual qualifications, one time I I got to go to heaven. I was taken up to the third heaven, saw a bunch of stuff, but 
then I was told I couldn't tell you what I saw. In addition to that, to keep me humble, God gave me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me humble. I, I begged God three times to take this thorn of the way, but he, his response to me was instead, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So, here's how it's going to go down. I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hard... Listen, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul doesn't say, visualize your best future. Visualize it and it'll come to pass. Because God never wants you sick or hurting or poor or tragic. No, he says, visualize this. I'm going to delight in these things because in my weakness, God's power is perfected. Here's the question. I'm just going to put it to you right now. Would you rather walk in your own power and your own strength and your own might or would you really desire to walk in the power of God? I, I think this is an important question for the church. I mean, really, we can build a building and a church of comfort and convenience and loveliness, and we could probably, if we frame things rightly, attract thousands of people because the message is so appealing. Or do we want to see truly changed lives? I think that's the question that's there for us. Do you think Satan may just love having thousands of people trapped in an environment where they're not really hearing the gospel of truth? Now, I'm not saying every big church by any means is there. There are some great churches. We have some wonderful churches in our city that are very large that are proclaiming the gospel of Christ. But there are others in our nation who are not proclaiming the gospel. Here's the question for us, though, for us as a people. What does this weakness look like? What kind of weakness are we talking about? Where does this weakness come from? And what, what purpose does it serve? So if we're going to embrace weakness, what are we looking at here, right? What am I signing up for if I'm going to embrace this weakness so the power of God can rest upon me? So that leads me to the first point or question. I've framed it in the form of three questions. What kind of weakness? Paul says in verse 15, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. Much, much has been made throughout history about Paul's thorn in the flesh. What is this thorn that he had to endure? I mean, many, many different theories. Some say it was some physical ailment like blindness or uh, stomach issues or problems. 
Other people would uh, say it was a specific group of people like the Judaizers that were constantly attacking him. Some of you even speculated it was a, it was a wife uh, that he had somewhere, a nagging wife um, that he called a thorn in the flesh. I, I, I'd like to not believe that one, uh, honestly. Uh, but, but he doesn't tell us what his thorn in the flesh is. Why? Just like he doesn't tell us what he saw in heaven, he doesn't tell us what his difficulty is. Why? Because we would get caught up in the specifics rather than the principle. You know, many times we look at people who have some sort of weakness that's coming on them or something in their life, and we say, well, you know, that's not my deal, so I'm, I'm, I'm better. I'm, no, you're not better. You're just different. You're just, it's a different thing for you. You have your weakness because God is bringing that in your life in order to see his power perfected. But what kind of weakness? Here he gives four different words where he kind of specifies weakness. He says insults. When people think of clever ways of making your faith or lifestyle or your words look stupid uh, or weird or inconsistent, insults. He talks about hardships circumstances that are forced upon you, reversals of fortune against your will, any situation where you feel trapped. Uh, you didn't plan, you didn't think or plan that it would be this way, but anybody want to say amen? Any hardships in your life? Most of us, we don't face many insults, honestly, um, unless we're in a, some sort of strange relationship with someone who insults us, but most of us don't go there. But many of us have hardships persecutions, wounds or abuses or painful circumstances or acts of prejudice or exploitation from people because of your Christian faith, maybe because of your Christian moral commitment. It's when you are not treated fairly, persecutions. And then difficulties. Some uh, translations say calamities, distresses, or troubles. The idea here is is pressure. It's just things that are so overwhelming. We talked about one of those in a family that has suffered significant loss over the past couple of days and years. That's, that difficulty, uh, that pressure that makes you feel like you're just going to be crushed. Here's the big question. Is Paul talking about sin here? Now, I, I, I don't know. You know, sin like he has a weakness for gambling or he has a weakness for overeating or a weakness for some sort of addictive behavior. It doesn't seem that that's the issue right here. He's not talking about sin issues. It could be, but more likely he's referring to the circumstances and experience and wounds that make us look weak. That if we walked in our strength, then we'd, we'd be able to get out of it. In other words, there are things that are coming against you that if you chose to walk in your own strength, you might be able to get out of them. I'm not talking about sin thing, but like insults. If someone insults you in your own strength, you would outwit them, effectively putting down your opponent. Or if it was a hardship, you, you would... 
You would fight back against this hard time. You'd change your fortune. You would, um, you would make things easier. Persecution. You'd become strong enough as a people group that no one could persecute you. Powerful enough that you would rule and avoid the persecution. Difficulties. In your strength, you would try to arrange your life in such a way that you would never have difficulties. See, there's a fleshly way to avoid these things. And honestly, most of us, we do that. Paul said in the earlier book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 4, he said, we work hard with our own hands. When we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we're slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Hallelujah. That's who we are. You see, what happens is, Weakness and experiences and situations and circumstances and wounds that are hard to bear, we can't remove them either because they're beyond our ability or we've been commanded not to return evil for evil. What's the source? Where do these weaknesses come from that I'm talking about? What is the source of these weaknesses? Paul says in uh, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 7 and 8, and then 9, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. Whatever Paul's thorn in the flesh was, he pleaded with the Lord to take it away. And it's one of these weaknesses that he seems to be talking about. So where did it come from? Well, he says it's a messenger of Satan. So one clear answer is that some weaknesses come from the enemy. They come from Satan. Satan hates the work. He hates the work of God. And his job description is to kill, steal, destroy. If God's work is to save, the enemy's work is the opposite of that. If God plan is for us to be one, then the enemy's job is to keep us from being one. Let me just say this. I don't think the enemy wants you going to a small group. If it is God's plan for us to be in relationship with one another, worshiping as a corporate body, getting to know each other and love one another, then I can tell you the enemy don't want you going to a small group. Now, I'm not saying you're not going to a small group is, means you're a tool and the instrument of the devil. But I am saying maybe you should really pray through this about what God's plan is for you and what kind of relationships you're engaged in. Where are you spending your time? So part of the weakness that Paul is enduring is coming from the enemy. But here's the theologically tricky part. Paul obviously believes that God could remove it if he wanted to. He prayed three times, pleaded with the Lord to take it away. And the Bible doesn't say God couldn't. Rather, it says God says, no, I'm not going to do it. 
I mean, I don't know about in your Bible, but in my Bible, these words are in red. Now, I know the red part is kind of an editorial choice at times, but that means this comes from Jesus, where Christ is saying to him, the Lord, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So, no matter how we face this theological challenge, the messenger is Satan, but God has definitely allowed it. He could have cut it off. And that causes us great consternation. That, con that gives us a, diff a difficult time with God, really. Satan, we understand. You know, he's a bad devil. He hates us. He wants to kill us. He wants to say, we understand. But God's supposed to love me, right? God's supposed to protect me. Where's my shrubbery of protection? You know, my hedge of protection, where is that from the enemy? I, I, I love, what's the guy's name, the comedian who always does that thing? Where he talks about, it seems like we should have more than a shrub, a hedge of protection, maybe a wall, a pillar, something. But a shrub seems kind of weak, doesn't it? You go listen to him, he's much funnier than funnier than me when he presents it. But here's the truth. God is in control. If we believe in the sovereignty of God, God is in control of everything. Satan does nothing to God's children that God couldn't prevent if he wanted to. Does that cause you problems? God is a God of love. Well, this, this leads me to our next point. There's got to be a purpose for this then, right? I mean, are we just caught in some cosmic chess game between God and Satan? Where we're the pawns that are being moved around the board? Or is this is really important, people. If you fell asleep just for a minute, wake back up. This, is, this end part is going to bring it home. It's going to be good. There, there, there's some purpose for this. Why we're going through this. What's the purpose for my weaknesses? These are questions that trouble us. Why can't I find a job? Why can't I find a spouse? Why am I trapped in this awful marriage? Why can't I have children? Uh, why, why does my parent have cancer? Why don't I have any friends? Why is nothing working in my life right now? Why all these hardships, insults, persecutions, and difficulties? This may not answer all your questions, but I think it will give us some principles to look at. One of the things Paul says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. The word torment there is the word buffet, to come against you, to strengthen you. See, here's the point. Let me see if I can kind of weave this together. I don't know if it was Paul's thorn or the message that was attached to the thorn that gave Paul the greatest difficulty. I mean, I'm sure the thorn in the flesh was unpleasant, uh, but there, there's, a, there's a message attached to the thorns. Are you with me? So I was given a thorn in the flesh, a message from Satan to torment me. Now, here's the deal. When you get these things and these messages that, what does Satan try and tell you? What are the things Satan tries to say to you? You're worthless. You're no good. 
you're, you're bad. I, think about this. Let's say you're single and you're, you're wanting to, to get married and you're having trouble finding the right relationship of a person to get married to. And so the message that Satan will start to bring about is you're not pretty enough, you're not rich enough, you're not strong enough, no one loves you, you're not worth loving. I mean, the, the, there is a thorn, but what's even more debilitating is the message that comes with it. Paul chooses to not believe the report of the enemy, but instead the report of the Lord. In other words, how do I know that Paul's not believing the report of the enemy, but the report of the Lord? Well, because what is the one thing the enemy would love for Paul to feel good about? He'd want him to feel proud, right? I went to heaven, I met the Lord, I saw this thing. He'd be bragging all about it. He wants him to be proud. The enemy wants him to be proud. The enemy's goal is to steal worship from God, put it on ourselves, or more often him. So he tries to, he's got this thorn in the flesh with the message that in some way destroys or subverts worship. Paul, on the other hand, chooses to not tune into that channel. I've talked about this in the past. There are only two channels in this cosmic universe. There's the, there's the channel that the enemy tries to get you to listen to, and then there's the channel of God. You can be on channel one or channel two. Channel one or channel two. And every day of every moment, you're choosing to interpret all of life from one of those two channels. And many times, we flip between the channels just like the remote in our hand quicker than we can blink. I mean, look at Peter. Peter, who do people say that I am? You're the son of God, the son of the living God. Great, channel one. Listen to the Lord. A minute later, Jesus said, I got to go down to Jerusalem, suffer many things. Boom. Not so, Lord. Channel two. I mean, in the same, you know, they're just walking along the road. Peter flips channels. You and I do it all the time. We need to stay in touch with the Lord. One of the purposes of weakness is to, they're like problems, difficulties. They're like the spiritual dumbbells of our lives, that as we lift them and, and fight through them and allow God to minister life to us, they actually build spiritual strength in our lives. Okay, I'm going to move on. Therefore, he says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul, Paul, had a, Paul had an issue here. God's purpose was to help Paul tune into the spiritual channel and to become spiritually stronger and to help him from becoming proud and conceited. It's why he has these difficulties and weaknesses. If, I mean, think about it. If Paul lived today, had been taken up into heaven, seen the very glory of God in the throne room of heaven, 
he'd be on every Christian channel imaginable. He would have written a book, I don't know, Rapture to Heaven and Back Again. Five steps to experience your own rapture. I mean, something. I mean, he would have been, and we would have lapped it up. Because it's the culture in which we live. We love that celebrity. Somebody has had some sort of experience with God greater than mine. They must know something more. But instead, God says, I, this is for you, Paul. You can't tell anybody. And to keep you from becoming proud or conceited that this happened to you, instead, I'm going to allow this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan, to torment you in order to keep you from becoming proud. God thinks humility is more important than comfort. You should write that down. It's really good. And you may want to come back to it. He thinks, he believes that us being humble, because God gives grace to the humble, but he does what? He opposes, resists the proud. This is easy economy to me. I want the grace. I don't want God to be resisting or opposing me. I mean, think about it. What kind of pastor wants God opposing them? I'm in God's work, but I'm working against him. Or worse, he's working against me. No, no, no. I, I want to be experiencing the grace and power and presence of the Lord. John Piper says he'll give you a mountaintop experience in paradise and then bring us through anguish of soul, lest we think that we have risen above the need for total reliance on his grace. So, the purposes are, in order to strengthen, buffet us, keep us humble, and he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Here's the deal. Ultimately, you are a showcase for God's design and grace. Ultimately, that's God's purpose for your life, for him to showcase his grace through you. He gives us the strength and empower to endure and even to rejoice in the hard times. Why? So that when people look at us, they can say, well, that sure ain't him. It must be God. I, it's hard to get our head around this, isn't it? I mean, isn't it hard to get your mind around how God is at work? But who's known the mind of God, as we read at the beginning of the service? Who's known his ways? They're beyond tracing out. But he has a plan and a purpose. He, he, let me see if I can kind of close this loop down. Just because you're going through weaknesses doesn't mean that's necessarily a good thing. I mean, I, I believe if things are coming against you, like Paul did, you pray. God, take this away. God, take this away. Paul wasn't just getting run over. 
He prayed that God would take it away, but it was God who said to him, nope, I'm not taking it away. My grace is sufficient because it's going to demonstrate my power and your weakness. Pray for it to be taken away, but God's answer may be, I want you to endure this, to go through it, in order that his power is demonstrated in your life. So when things come against you, ask God, what is the source of this? Is this my own sin? Do I need to repent? Is this of the enemy? Do I need to battle it? Is this of you? Do I, are you doing this in order to keep me humble, to do some sort of work in my life? But ultimately, wherever the source is, we need to walk in, in relationship with him. The deepest need that you and I have in weakness and, in, and adversity is not quick relief. But the confidence, the confidence that what's happening is part of God's greatest purpose in the universe. What is God's greatest purpose in the universe? I believe it's to bring glory to Jesus. It's what he wants for our lives. This is not a message that usually will build a big church. But my concern is this. My concern is building you into a tabernacle where the glory of the Lord will shine through. Because ultimately that's going to make the biggest difference in the world. Are you ready to embrace the power of the Lord? Then confess your weakness and allow his power to be perfected in that weakness so that you can be a temple, a tabernacle for the glory of God. If you're here today and you would like someone to pray with you, maybe you are undergoing a, a tr a things in your life and you'd like somebody to stand in the gap with you to either see it removed or the glory of God to be revealed in your life. Have someone pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you're sick and you'd like somebody to pray with you. Maybe you need a lifting of a burden. You need wisdom for direction. Our teams are going to come and spread out across the front right now and some in the back. These are ministry teams. If you're new to fullness, we invite you. If you'd like prayer while the worship team comes, uh, the ministry teams are going to come. I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to just minister life to one another and allow his work in our lives. Lord, we thank you for what you have done, are doing, and will do in the days ahead. Lord, I pray that today, in my weakness, you would take this incredibly powerful word and just make it become life to people. That, Spirit of God, you would do what I couldn't do and just uncover it for people today. May life flow through us. May we, we see the power of God at work. May there really be power in weakness in our lives today. Lord, I pray right now for people who are going to get prayer. I pray that, God, you would do great things in our lives. We are not hopeless. We are a people of hope, and we believe you're still breaking through. This isn't a message of hopelessness. This is a message that you are doing great things. And so, Lord, we say thank you. Move in and through us today. Lord, we thank you.
bless you. We believe, Spirit of God, you're going to do great things in these moments ahead. Thank you that you're here present with us right now. If you need prayer, just move. Come to the front, allow one of these teams. Otherwise, just stand and let's worship the Lord. Let's just focus on him before we go back into the world and have all the things that we have facing us in the days ahead. Let's just sing a praise to him. Again, need prayer? Come, receive prayer right now.